today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Beloved, a life that's truly touched by Jesus will never be the same. A life that's truly touched by Jesus will desire to serve Him in every way possible. But remember, this is more than just healing. Many people were healed by Jesus, but not all of them were their lives truly changed. A touch of the Master's hand does not always bring about a changed life life. Have you ever been to a butterfly garden? So many butterflies just flying around. They are absolutely beautiful. What is so amazing is that originally they were ugly, creepy caterpillars. Now when you look at them, they have been totally transformed, not just on the outside, but from the inside out. Today, as Pastor David teaches about the sick woman who Jesus healed, we will learn that it's the same way for us. When Jesus truly touches and changes our lives, we are completely transformed we become a new creation. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Give Me a Fix-It Messiah. again of the area, trying to keep Jesus there in their own community. Each one of these events only takes two or three verses in this one chapter. That's all we really see it. It doesn't seem to be of any major significance in the overall gospel message. And yet, all three of these events are mentioned both in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so for me, whenever I see that, I I see the, not only is each gospel record important and it's trustworthy, but when I see at least three of them and sometimes all four of the gospel records speaking of that, well, that kind of gets my attention. You know how it is, it's like when you were young and your parents called you by all three names, okay? You, they, they were wanting to get your attention. And when I see this kind of a thing, I, I want to say, okay, there's, though it might be a short passage, It was important enough that all three of the gospel writers gave it to us. So what's being said to us today? All of this is happening in and around the city of Capernaum. Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. He'd even delivered that man from demonic possession there in that synagogue of Capernaum. The people were impressed. There's no doubt about it. The people were excited, but it was only in an outward way, an emotional way. The word says they were all amazed. They spoke among themselves. What a word is this? And as they left the synagogue, it tells us there in verse 37 that the report about him went out into every place in that surrounding region. Why? Because the people went out and told people about Jesus, this miracle-working man. There's already a growing 
popularity of, of the ministry of Jesus uh, of Nazareth. We don't see it here in the Gospel of Luke, but we know in the other Gospels that his ministry had been going on for a while. People in the area were hearing of it, and now the people of the synagogue of Capernaum, they're going out into all the surrounding regions. They're adding to the reports of his ministry and of his power. And as the synagogue service there in Capernaum ends on that Sabbath day, we find that Jesus, perhaps with some of the others, they now move on over to Simon Peter's house for Sunday afternoon dinner. Capernaum was Simon Peter's hometown, along with his brother Andrew. There was another family there, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were partners with Peter and his brother Andrew in the fishing industry. All of them lived there in Capernaum. So here's where we find the first of our three events in two short verses, 38 and 39. In verse 38 of chapter 4 of the gospel according to Luke, we read, now he, speaking of Jesus, now he rose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. It should have been a pretty normal event. They go to synagogue, and after synagogue, they come back home, and mom's got dinner all prepared, family and friends gathering together. Perhaps some of you have those very kind of plans today, although most of you, I know, go to restaurants more than cook at home anymore. But it's that kind of an idea of what's going on here. Mom would have had dinner already, but the problem is on this particular day, on this particular week, she's sick. She's very sick. Luke, the physician, tells us that she had a, a great, a, a high fever. According to the other gospel accounts, she was even bedridden. And I think all of us know how that can impact our life. When I was a kid, my mother was in the hospital for a few days when I was very uh, much younger, and all of the boys at home, and my dad being a good dad, he thought, well, I'll take care of the problem. He went to the store. Mom's in the hospital. Dad's in charge. Okay, you already know there's a problem, right? Dad goes to the store, and he finds out that canned spaghetti is on sale. So he does the logical thing. He buys a case of canned spaghetti, brings it home. He's going to take care of the kids. Well, we got two problems with this. Number one, canned spaghetti is not my mama's spaghetti, okay? And number two, after two or three days of canned spaghetti, you're done with canned spaghetti pretty much for the rest of my life, okay? <laughs> but I will tell you this. I believe that that's when my brothers and I really learned how to pray. We prayed for a healing for my mom really quick. Well, we don't know how long Peter's mother-in-law had been sick, probably uh, just simply because of the way events happened. Probably maybe even just that morning, you know, this thing. But it got so bad that she was there in bed. As the synagogue service was over, Jesus and the others came into the house. As Jesus comes in, they tell him of the woman's sickness, and Jesus goes to her bedside. And we read there in verse 39, So he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and, le and, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. In short, it's a very interesting story. Jesus, without any kind of fanfare, no showmanship at all, but in his compassion for this woman, he simply does what he was called, what he was empowered to do. Matthew tells us that he touched her hand. Mark tells us that he took her by the hand and lifted her up. But here, Luke just simply says, he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. 
Luke, I believe, brings out, again, just the the powerful authority that Jesus has over all of his creation. He rebuked the sickness. You need to understand there's no demons involved in this sickness, in this particular sickness. She was just sick. And Jesus rebuked that sickness, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. The awesomeness of that healing... instantaneous. But don't lose sight of the last portion of this. And this is where I want you to look at this morning. She immediately arose and she began to serve them. I believe that what we see here is a woman who is serving out of thankfulness, thankfulness for what Jesus had done for her immediately as he spoke against that sickness and she was completely healed. I don't believe that it was simply because it was her responsibility as mom or her place to serve that she did this. Again, speaks more of that heart of gratitude for what Christ had done in her life. Because she had been touched by the master, it made a difference in her life. And so she arose and she served them. Beloved, a life that's truly touched by Jesus will never be the same. A life that's truly touched by Jesus will desire to serve him in every way possible. But remember, this is more than just healing. Many people were healed by Jesus, but not all of them were their lives truly changed. A touch of the master's hand does not always bring about a changed life life. I believe that many of us can testify to the fact that either in our own life or in the lives of loved ones, God had done miraculous stuff in the lives, and yet they did not turn their heart and their life over to Christ. And they're not serving and following him. But let's move on. As Jesus and those that were with him there lingered there at Simon Peter's house through the day, the sun began to set. This marked the end of the Sabbath day. When the sun sets, that was the end of the day, the beginning of the new day in the Jewish mindset. So as the sun set, Sabbath day is over, a new day has started. The restrictions of the Sabbath day are now done away with. Now they're back into the freedom that they would have through the week. And as the restrictions of Sabbath ended, the people of the community began to move about. And so we come to verse 40. All those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them. He didn't allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So here, outside of Simon's house, we, we don't know how big the crowd was. I mean, uh, one thing for certain, the word had been getting out all over. Just as we read earlier, the people in the synagogue, they were amazed. And so they spread the word about him into every place in the region. Yeah, we don't know how big it is, but I would imagine it's probably a pretty good sized crowd now that's outside the house of Simon Peter. As a matter of fact, as soon as the Sabbath restrictions had been lifted, the people of the community, it says, brought to him all who had any that were sick with various diseases. It says that Jesus laid hands on every one of them and he healed them. 
And again, for Jesus, it wasn't a show. It wasn't an exhibition. Again, it was the compassion of the God-man reaching out toward the people who were suffering at that place and at that time. And it wasn't just the sick that were being healed. There were many who were demon-possessed that were also brought to him. And the demons weren't too happy about that. As a matter of fact, as they came out of the people, they, they came out crying and, and proclaiming, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus rebuked them. He didn't allow them to speak. They knew who he was. He wasn't just a local miracle worker. He wasn't just a, a local healer. No, this is the Christ, the Son of God. Even the demons recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, much more than an exorcist, much more than a healer. He was the very Son of God. The demons got it. You, you realize that. The demons got it. But I believe that the volume of the Scriptures show us that most people missed it. They just did not get it. Why? I believe because they were so self-focused. I'm going to go get healed by this one. This one, whoever he was, he removed the demon from my brother-in-law. Brother-in-laws have demons, you know. Uh, whatever it might be, it was, it was a more of an internal thing, an internal focus. But one really important thing we need to realize, Jesus didn't need a demonic public relations team. He didn't need them going out and declaring that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You might even say that Jesus, all through his ministry, he resisted the world's system and the world's ways of promoting his ministry. How did he do it? One life at a time. As he came and he moved and he ministered to different individuals. Oh yeah, there was multitudes of crowds. Don't get off the focus. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't get saved in mass. We, in, in, in total, with a large crowd, we get saved one-on-one -on -one in that personal relationship with Christ. We don't know how long into the evening that Jesus ministered, but the story goes on here in verse 42. Now, the next day, it's the next morning. In verse 42, he says, Now when it was day, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place. The crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the gospel of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. In Mark's gospel, it tells us that Jesus rose long before daylight, went out into that deserted place, that solitary place, and there he prayed. No matter how long into the night he had ministered that night before, Jesus still rose early in the morning in order that he might have a time of solitude and quietness with the Father. It was his time of recharging. It was his time of refreshing, laying it all down before the Father and also receiving back from the Father. And beloved, if that was so necessary in Jesus, the very Son of God, God in human flesh, if that was so necessary in his life, don't you think that it might be at least some necessary in our lives to get recharged in that quietness of life before God. Problem is, is during his time of solitude, during his time of prayer, he gets an interruption. Why? Because the crowds desired more. They came to him. They tried to keep him from leaving them. One of the 
Other gospel records tells us that Simon Peter, our boy Simon, came to him and uh, said, hey, the, the crowds are looking for you. It seems like Simon Peter was always the guy that got pushed ahead. You know, hey, it's, it's time to stop this. You don't have time to pray. We've, we've got ministry to do here. Boy, there's a real problem in that, isn't there? Jesus had received the Father's direction. And so his response to Peter and to the crowds was pretty direct. It was pretty much to the point. He says, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. It's because for this purpose I was sent. Now that might seem cold. It might seem heartless. But it's really not. As a matter of fact, it shows the greatness of the heart of God for all of the people. It shows that Jesus and the Father's love was for the whole world, not just for one small group of people. It's at this point that I want us to pause. I want us to consider why did the people try to keep Jesus from leaving them? Whenever I read that, it says that the crowd sought him, they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. I think of the father on my big fat Greek wedding, okay? Why do you want to leave me? Why was he so worried about his daughter leaving him? Because of his own personal needs. He didn't care too much about the daughter's future. Why do you want to leave me? Because she had a future. And here, why do you want to leave us, Jesus? Jesus' calling was much more than just that community. So why did these people try to keep Jesus there? Was it because they understood uh, at, at least as much as the demons that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ? He was the Son of God, the promised one, the Messiah? Or, or was it simply because they had found this amazing man and whoever he was, he had the abilities to have their sicknesses cured, their oppressions relieved, their, their demons removed? Or Maybe there's a third option. Maybe they believe that as Messiah, he had been sent to them to have their sicknesses cured, their oppressions relieved, and their demons removed. I think it could be two, the second or the third choice. I think it could be either one or a multitude of them. How much they understood about Messiah or didn't understand that Jesus was Messiah. I believe that, again, when we look at the context of the Gospels, the, the time and time again where the most important thing in the lives of the majority of the people during the time of Jesus was they simply wanted a Messiah who would cure their sicknesses, relieve their oppressions, and cast out their demons. It's all I want. I want a Jesus that's going to take care of my felt needs. I want to fix it, Messiah, is what I want. I don't know about you, and, and, and I don't think the heart of man, again, has changed much in the last 2,000 years. The people of Capernaum, they loved the teaching of Jesus. Why, he taught as one having authority. They loved the healing and the deliverance ministry of Jesus. They brought all those who had any sicknesses or any, any disease and, and de demonic possession, they brought all of them to him. They were astonished by his command over that spiritual realm. Again, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. But beloved, being amazed and astonished by Jesus isn't enough. 
the response of Peter's mother-in-law. Remember her? Her response was totally different. She was touched and healed by Jesus, yes, but immediately she arose and she began to serve. We see in her actions and in her heart of service this gratitude for Christ and for the work of Christ in her life. I believe that her heart was changed because it was evident in her life. But the majority of the people of Capernaum wanted a fix-it Messiah rather than the promised Messiah. They had no desire to truly repent. They simply wanted to have God at their beck and call, and only when they needed him. There was no deep change of heart. And again, according to Jesus, according to the Scriptures, there was no repentance in Capernaum. And that was the heart of those people in Capernaum. But it wasn't just them. And it wasn't just during that time, is it? The same concept, the same feeling is, is very much alive in the church today. Within the church today, there's certain words that seem to be so out of date. As a matter of fact, they, they seem to be so repulsive and foul even to the believer. They seem to be a frontal attack on our self-centeredness, on our consumer-only mindset. There's words like repentance, devotion, commitment, and service, and sacrifice, and surrender. Well, that might be the heart of some, but if we honestly look at the church today, I believe that we can easily recognize it is not the heart and the lifestyle of the majority of the church. Too often today, oh, we want the miracles. We want the healings. We want the deliverances. We want to hear how mighty and how powerful our God is. We want our sin forgiven, but we don't want to hear a call to repentance or devotion or commitment or service or sacrifice or surrender. Too many, even today, continue on to respond to the message of the cross and the truth of Jesus with, just give me a fix-it Messiah, please. I simply want to be saved, not called to true repentance, faithfulness, or discipleship. We want Jesus to impact our lives and our eternity but we're not interested in a true living participation in his kingdom and in his work. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. No, that doesn't work for eternity. The right attitude was actually penned, instead of back in 1970, it was penned back in the 1700s by a man by the name of Isaac Watts. He said that when I survey the wondrous cross, when I survey that wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I, I count as loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. How much of God do you have this morning? 
How much do you really desire? Do you want a God of convenience or do you want the God of glory? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.